Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. Were you ever tipped as an employee? Did that ever feed into your livelihood and your ability to make a living? And without tips, you would have got paid. I remember when I was a waiter and I got paid a dollar ninety an hour, and I depended upon tips. And without those tips, I would have starved to death. Unfortunately, I didn't do that. The gal that we have today, uh, her name is Barbara Sloan. She is an author. She is a construction company owner. She is a former tipped employee and a service trade member of good standing and could always go back to do that if she had to. I'm sure doesn't have to because she she now she now does a construction work for the hoity toity among us who who say I want to I yes my apartment in New York City is worth uh, five million dollars but I want to renovate it anyway um, and things like that and and so uh, Barbara is with us and again the name of the book is called Tipped. And um, there's a, some subtitles to it, and we're going to talk about that uh, right now. Barbara, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Kevin. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat. I am excited, too. I've been looking forward to this for a while because you got to understand, I don't get to talk to very many people who actually admit to being a service employee. Yeah, our industry has some terrible PR, doesn't it? <laughs> Unfortunately, it is seen as a moral and ambition failure of a career path. And that's a shame because we're highly skilled. There's a lot of skills in that industry. I like to say everything that I needed to know to run a multi-million dollar business, I learned working in the service industry. You learn a lot of skills working in the service industry. You really do. And it and if you if you are as an example, I was not a very good waiter. Um, I There were people I didn't understand. Maybe you can help me, but I didn't understand. There were waitresses that could uh, handle six or seven tables and they never seemed to sweat. They seemed to get, had time to talk to the customers and yet they would be able, I had six tables. I was running like a madman trying to keep up getting things, you know, <laughs> getting the drinks, getting the food and getting it up on time and all that kind of stuff. Um, cause so some people are just really gifted at, at, at that and, and they deserve to be treated well. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize that, yeah, it's a skill and some people are good at it and some people aren't and that's okay too. Um, but yeah, I, I have worked in this industry for two decades. I often like to say that I worked, I, I worked two, two careers in tandem, so I worked construction in the day and service industry at night, or as I like to say, dirt in the day and dirty in the evening. Um, over those past, over those two decades, I was a bartender, a go-go dancer, a stripper, a fetish performer, a sideshow showgirl, a circus performer, a flair bartender, a cater waiter, and a waitress. And I worked all over the country. I worked in Los Angeles, Detroit, Boston, Las Vegas, New York. If it involved tips. I, I, I did it. Well, I have to ask you, what was your favorite uh, position that you really enjoyed coming to work for? Yeah. Um, oh, that's such a fun question because they're all so different and they all involve like different skill sets. And I really yes. loved the 
craft of service. And so each of those environments had a different style of service. Like when you're in a high volume establishment and, you know, the, the flow of that churn and that time management rush is really fun. But when you're in like a club atmosphere, you have the creativity of like music selection and, you know, accessories, you know, selection, or when you're in a dive bar, oh my gosh, are you really tested on your like interpersonal communication skills? Like you, when you're at a dive bar, I like to say that the bar is like the comment section of any Facebook post. It is strange out there. And to be able to keep pace with all those different types of conversations, such a skill. <laughs> I liked them all. It was a lot of fun. I was, um, let's see, I was a busboy, a waiter, a, a uh, uh, dishwasher, a cook, an assistant manager and opening a team member. I used to go open restaurants around the country um, and um, became an assistant manager and a general manager and, uh, and all of that. My favorite one was probably bartender. Yeah. It's um, such a fun one. It's, I could just, I, I knew the drinks. I was quick at preparing them, but I could think and, and prepare the drinks at the same time. And it was just, it was fun. And if you're a people watcher, mine was an entertainment bar. So we so we had, you know, on, on any given night, we had hundreds of people that would be wandering around and it was just it was fun and tiring. And you worked late at night. You didn't get home till three or four in the morning. Um, but I, the money was the money was sensational. Money is good. Yeah. You know. Now, let's talk about your book, though, because you wrote the book tipped and you did it, I believe. Well, tell me why you wrote the book. Yeah. So, you know, you just said a really important point, which is that the money was good, right? Yes. But the numbers for this industry are strangely horrible, right? In that people who are retired, service industry professionals who are retired today live solely off of Social Security. And if you know anything about Social Security, you know that in 2020, the average Social Security check was less than $20,000 for people who claim their income in full. And if you know anything about the industry, you know that oftentimes people aren't tracking their income. And because of that, they're often not claiming it in full. And so SIPs, as I call them, that's the acronym for service industry professionals that I use in the book, they age into the most economically disadvantaged population in our country more so than veterans, more so than any other group of people. And when you realize that we're talking about people who work in the second largest employment sector in the United States that consists of more than 5.5 million people, it's, it's, it's a real eye-opener that these people who think that they're doing really well financially end up in this position where they're falling between the cracks and they're not able to keep their head above water and are often twice as likely to experience homelessness and poverty. I remember when I was the bartender, there was our head bartender. His name was Bill, and he was uh, in his mid-40s. He'd been a bartender. He he was a professional football player uh, for a little bit of time. He had a cup of coffee with uh, um, with one of the pro teams, but he was a bartender the rest of the time. So I was looking at him, and he was in his mid-40s, and his knees were starting to go. And his back was starting to go. It is a very physically demanding profession at whatever level that you're doing it because you're always on your feet. You're always moving around. You're always trying to hustle to get what you need to get done done. And as you age, 
up into it, it becomes really a lot more difficult to do what you used to be able to do. And so if you haven't prepared financially for that eventuality, which is going to happen sooner or later to everybody, um, then, then you're doing yourself a disservice. And to, and to your point about the tip thing, it was great. When I was a bartender, I went home and I had a wad of cash in my pocket that was, that was sizable. And so I would come home if I was like working the day and my wife and I, we, and we'd go to this grocery store and we didn't care how much it cost. We didn't look at the expenses. We didn't have any kind of a budget. Who needed a budget? I had a bunch of cash in my pocket. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it was that distinction between how wealthy people felt versus how much wealth this industry was able to build that kind of like set me down this road. I'd say there was like a pivotal moment for me kind of in um, 2013. I moved to New York City with my wife. Um, We had like 700 bucks in our pocket. I got two jobs. The first job that I got was working um, nights at a bar called Coyote Ugly, which if you haven't been there, it's a bar where you sing and dance on the bar. You hit your patrons. You get girls to take their bras off. It's a spicy good time. Um, And then I was working days on Wall Street for an unregulated market. Now, this was a huge education for me because I had never worked on Wall Street. I didn't understand financial services. I didn't understand the markets. I didn't understand predatory lending. I, it, it was a huge eye-opener for me. And so it was like a few months in after I saw our third trader get shipped off to rehab where I was like, oh, this is very toxic. I'm going back to bars and construction because that is like a way safer place for me. And so I got a job working for the construction company that I now own. And I was hired to manage the finances and run an HR department. I had no idea what HR was. No clue. I had never had HR before. So I didn't know what a 401k was. I didn't know what a pay time off policy was. I had had health insurance maybe once. And this was sort of a big aha moment where I was like, oh, it's these financial safety nets, these employer provided safety nets. And this mindset of my very wealthy clients who I was talking to about mindset and trade-offs and budgets and things like that. And I was like, it's this systems and mindset that the people in the service industry don't have. And it's the reason why they're not building wealth. And so I started deep diving personal finance, getting reading everything I could get my hands on and everything that I came across. I mean, I'm talking 10,000 hours of listening to audiobooks and podcasts and reading dozens and dozens of personal finance books. And over and over again, I just heard the same recycled advice of like, get the 401k match from your employer, negotiate your salary, budget based off of your income, all of this advice that never didn't apply to people in our industry. No. And it was like, oh, not only are we left out of this employer benefits and we're left out of this mindset stuff and financial literacy, but we're also left out of the conversation. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome. I was just like, it can't be me. I have no college degree. I have no credentials. I have no language, no resources, no platform. It cannot be me. But I'm just like, somebody has to start start this conversation. Someone has to start talking to these people about personal finance and how they can better their own situation. Um And I listened to a great podcast where they were just sort of like, write the book you wish you had had. And I was like, well, I can at least do that. Because a big part of the reason that I didn't want to write the book was because I was like, you can't, if I can't help the most vulnerable people, which you can't, 
You know, you can't budget your way out of poverty. And so for me, I was like, oh, if I can't help the people who are the worst off, then I, then I'm going to help nobody. And that was just the wrong mindset. So anyway, I got over my imposter syndrome. I started working on this book and yeah, it's, it's been a big passion project for me. What's it like when you are running a construction company and um, an employee comes up to you and says, I think I saw you someplace else then from here or you're working in it. It's like, were you in, in, in dirty Dan's? What? I don't know. Uh, it's never happened in 20 oh, years. Goodness. It's never happened. No one's ever approached me from one industry to the next. And what's interesting is that I've never been shy about talking about my other experiences. If somebody asked or like, like this is all I have employees now and all of my history is all over the internet and I have a book about it and it's, it's never come up. <laughs> Yeah. Now, of all the positions that you held, which one was the best tipped? Oh, interesting. Um, I, I dancing and bartending were by far the biggest tips. But I also did like private gigs, where like you would just get paid, you know, fifteen hundred dollars for doing some corporate gig where you dress in latex and spank people for photo ops, and that's like. <laughs> A very easy night of cash. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, did you have to have uh, security? In a lot of the places I worked at, I had security, yeah. And so that's one of the things that people often don't understand about the industry is that the tips that you receive, you're also tipping out support staff. So it's not all just going into your pocket. You know this because you were a busboy. If you're a waitress, you're you're tipping out your busboy, you're tipping out your bar. If you're a dancer, you're tipping out your house, you're tipping out your security. You might tip your DJ, you might tip your bar as well. So there's a lot of cash coming in, but there's also a lot of cash going out. And all of it's pretty much unregulated. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's just like any other business, right? A lot of businesses manage their own finances where they understand that what's coming in, they understand what's going out and they report accordingly. In a lot of the same ways, people in the service industry are like mini entrepreneurs. They have yeah. to manage their money just like they were an entrepreneur, right? Because you have a fluctuating income. You have a lot of expenses that you have to keep track of. Um, and so when we talk about budgeting um, in my book, we have a whole chapter on budgeting. We we approach it from that perspective of like, you. it's not going to be as easy as it is for nine to five Jason, to, it's going to be a little more difficult for you to manage your money than it is for him, for instance. Um, but it makes it all the more important because what I believe is true is that financial freedom is attainable for people in this industry. You talked about coming home with all the stacks of cash. And that's the truth is that often it's not an income problem. It's, it's a mismanagement problem. It's a mindset problem. It's boundaries. It's, you know, not understanding the hazards of our industry Every industry has hazards. You're talking about, you know, people who work in sports, right? They have hazards like getting hit when they're playing sports or they have hazards of, uh, you know, overtraining. Um, and But they, they get training on how to train for those hazards. Our industry, we're not trained on the hazards that we encounter. So we're not trained on how to set boundaries with our guests. We're not trained on how to cross train for being on your feet. We're not trained that we need to really, you know, drink water and get a lot of sleep because we're using both our body and our mind for long shifts and sometimes doubles, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult for some people to understand how. Because at one time, when I was a bartender, now this goes back into the ni- early 1980s. I'm sorry, I'm so old. <laughs> but the early 1980s. And I made $7.95 an hour plus I was working in a hotel. Oh, wow. Plus benefits. And was averaging $100 to $150 a night in tips. It was remarkable. I was able to buy a house with that, but it wasn't going to last because I was going to get older. As it turns out, the bar no longer exists. You can't be someplace forever, and you got to continue to move forward, or you have to develop a plan. You help people develop a plan, don't you? Yeah, and you're right. Like this, this industry, just like whether you're in sports or whether you're in construction or some other industry that's really hard on your body, you have to plan for that. You have to know that it might be a shorter career. You have to know that you have to get in on some of that compound interest early on so that you can watch your money grow so that you can set up things for yourself like retirement benefits because you are going to be 50, 60 with a bad back, and you are going to be equally deserving of a hot tub or a hammock or a nice vacation then as you are now. And so some of it's just teaching people that I got into this industry without a plan. And I think a lot of people get into this industry without a plan, right? They're like, oh, I'm not sure what I want to do. Or this is, you know, a nice, a nice job while I look for something else. And then you blink and 10 years goes by and you've missed that opportunity to take advantage of all of this great cash that you're raking in. So yeah, this book is 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 a way for people to create a plan. You know, you mentioned professional athletes. Well, one of the problems with professional athletes is that they make all this money when they're 20, 21, 22, 23. And they get this great big contract. And then um, their knee blows out or they start getting older and they lose a step or whatever. And they get cut from their team. And then... They're 25, 26, 27, they, and they have no income now. They they didn't do well in school because they didn't make them do well in school. And so they don't know how to manage their money. And then they've got all these people that are around them that are used to this, all this money uh, that this guy was the, the caretaker of, and they end up losing it all. And that yeah. happens the same in the service industry, with and not to that extent, but I think, well, you tell me, there are people that, Rather than saying, I'm making great money now, but I need to prepare for the future. They're like, let's go party. Let's, I'm tired of, let's go have a good time. There's a line of uh, cocaine that I want, you know, whatever it is. And and they have vices and that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, Environment is totally a big part of one of the hazards of the industry. You are, it's interesting when you work a service industry shift, it's different than if you're at a desk all day. You leave a shift exhausted, but also more energized than when you started. You have to go burn off some of that steam. So I like to think of it as like, it's a cost of working, that cost of winding down. It's a Mm -hmm. part of this industry that is unique to this industry is that, yeah, you have to go and have a few drinks. You have to connect with your coworkers because you didn't have a chance during your shift because you were rushing around. And those, those are your people. And you're also in a world where no one understands why you do what you do for a living. And so you want to connect with people who do understand why you do this for a living. So it makes a lot of sense why these habits are formed and why some of the short-term thinking exists in this industry. Now, can I ask you a couple of questions about, about the, uh, the stripper aspect of it? Yeah. 
because you know was that something that i mean let's let's be honest here you're a pretty girl you're 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 a pretty lady a beautiful lady uh, did you did you feel like you could use your your excuse the expression assets in a in a way to make more money and that's what led you to that and what were there downsides to it that that led you out of it i mean i think my dancing career i was pretty lucky um I mostly worked in LGBTQ and kink spaces. And so in both of those spaces, it's a really positive environment with a lot of really supportive and friendly people. Whereas I feel like most dancers end up working in gentlemen's club and it's just sort of that drunk frat boy experience. And that's not, that's not the dance experience I had. And so I think I got really, lucky and I really loved and enjoyed my dancing experience and I loved the creativity and the expression of dance and I loved the costumes and the pageantry and the camaraderie of the girls and definitely the cash and (laughs) I got some really pretty heels and yeah it was really I had a great time Um, well and I'm I'm really Barbara I'm really glad that you had that experience rather than the um the the down home texas style gentleman's club kind of thing where it's come here little lady let me show you what i got you know and that kind of and that's it would be a, a lot different and 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 because and you were well protected in the in the clubs that you were at and and stuff so that that makes a huge difference yeah but you bring up such an important point in that that's not a lot of people's and that's not most dancers experience. Correct. And that's a big reason that I have a whole chapter on an emergency fund because an emergency fund is absolutely critical to maintaining a career in this industry. You cannot be reliant on any one person's tip or money in order to keep yourself safe and fed and well. You have to be able to say no. You have to be able to walk away from situations so that you can keep yourself safe and so that you can also uphold the values of whatever establishment you're working at. And so to do that, you have to have some savings that you can rely on if, for instance, you know, you end up having to walk out of a toxic job. Or if you have to say, you know what, this customer sucks, kick him out. I don't care if I don't get tipped tonight, you know? So an emergency fund is something that we talk a lot about in the book. And it's basically a bucket, a vessel, uh, an account that holds roughly three to six months of your mandatory living costs. And that is something that you use to keep you safe in this industry. And I will tell you that that account changes how you show up in your job. You are different with your coworkers, with your management, with your family. You are just, you show up more authentically in your job and you are able to keep yourself safe when you have that level of savings because this industry can be hard on you. And so, yeah, and especially in those club atmospheres, there's also a lot of income volatility, you know, club atmospheres, it's really slow in the summer. It's really slow during sporting events. Right. And so you have to understand those income trends and know when it's going to be slower so that you can maybe pivot. Right. Like, you know, when I was dancing in clubs, I would also pivot that with um, or pair that experience with like when those sporting events happen, I would go work and bartend at a sports bar because those that's when it was busy. Right. Like I got to 
across the industry and make it work because I was able to watch for those trends. I admire you greatly. And I think everybody should read your book because let me tell you why. Um, there are lots of people who fall into that, into this, into the service industry. And like I said, I was in, in it for 20 years. I know a lot of them and they just fall into it. And that's, they do it unconsciously. It's like, this is a job that I can get. Um, I can't do anything else really. So, and I can make better money as a waitress than I can. I, I made better money working four hours a night as a waiter than I did working 10 hours a day as a shoe salesman. Yeah. Uh, and and so you make you make really pretty good money but at the same time you're right you have to prepare for you have to prepare a fund so that if something happens if management changes all of a sudden they think you go from being a good waiter to being a crappy waiter and they bounce you mm -hmm. uh, which which happens all the time and in the state of Washington you don't need an excuse to bounce somebody you can just bounce them yeah and so you got to have some a reserve so that you won't starve to death. And what's also interesting, I think, about wealth building in this country is that Americans build wealth in two ways. The first way is through their 401k, and the second is through their primary residence. But with the 401k, people like to get to retirement and pat themselves on the back and say, oh my gosh, I have you know $800,000 in my retirement account or whatever. You didn't do that. Sharon from HR asked you if you wanted to check a box on this form that automatically pulled money from your check every week. For people in the service industry, when you roll up to the bar and you're next to Jason, the nine to five worker, Jason is spending what he has left over. When you roll up to the bar, you are spending what you have. That is a big distinction. You are dealing with gross numbers. He is dealing with net numbers. And so when you, you have to operate differently with your money than these other, other trades and other industry folks. And so I lost my train of thought there, but basically. <laughs> well, would you suggest then that um, that everybody, they set up an emergency fund, mm -hmm. but they also set up a, a tax fund so that they take X number of dollars off the top of what they made and, and treat it as if they were going to be declaring it as taxes? Yeah, so basically my book takes, seven of the most popular and basic personal finance concepts, and it breaks it down and helps you recreate that benefit for yourself. And so in the, in the, in the investing chapter, which is my favorite chapter in the whole book, because it's an analogy to being at the bar. So if you understand what it's like to be at the bar, then by the time you're done reading this chapter, you're going to understand how to invest. It talks to you about the different types of accounts that you can, you can set up for yourself. I think most people, we, I, I remember remembered my train of thought. We were talking about building wealth and the biggest ways that Americans build wealth is through their 401ks. Right. And people in this industry are exempt from that. They don't have 401ks. And no. restaurants, 90% of them are operated by small mom and pop businesses. They don't have the ability to hire somebody to manage an HR or a compliance plan or open up a 401k. They just can't. And so you have to be able to set these things up for yourself. And so for me, I talk through how to open up an IRA or how to set up a brokerage account for yourself and how to think about retirement when your employer is not providing those things for you. Most And most of the time, well, let's talk of the very basics. A lot of restaurants do not pay for benefits. 
Yeah, they don't have 401ks, but in addition to that, they don't have health insurance. They don't have paid time off. They don't have an HR Sharon to walk you through any of these things. Um, I always think it's really interesting when people are like, oh, but my state has mandatory paid time off. Like New York, for instance, has mandatory paid time off. But when you're in the industry, you don't see it cash flow wise. First of all, federally, we're still operating at $2.13 an hour. That's the federal sub-minimum tipped wage, which if people don't know that, it's it's horrendous, right? Some states have gotten better, but there's still like over a dozen states that operate on $2.13 an hour. And so for those people, when they get a paid day off, it's $2.13 times eight hours, right? That's $17. So you're not wow, getting any can you imagine what we could spend with 17 bucks? Wow. Right. But then you don't even see that because there's forced claiming, which means that it's completely eaten in taxes. So a paid time off is not a, a reality for this industry. And we often wonder why we have such bad PR or why we're all thought of as like, you know, moral failings when the fact is we're just burnt out. Some of us just need some time off. You know, the average American has 20 paid days off. That's a working month. How much happier and healthier of employees and humans would we be if we had a working month off? (laughs) Well, not only that, everybody else gets to go have Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day. We're working or Easter. We're working or Halloween. We're working or Christmas. They they don't close the bar. We got to work because somebody's going to want to go in there. Exactly. So it's not like that we get the same time off that everybody else does. Um, and it's, it's difficult because you, you, um, when you're, when you're, you're just bringing up memories for me when I was, when I was making, uh, what was it? I was a waiter. I was making like, it was like two thirty six or something in Washington. And I remember getting paychecks that were zero Mm -hmm. because I made too much in tips and that was just credit card tips, just credit card tips. Yeah. And I made too much in that. And so I was, here's your paycheck. <laughs> Zero dollars. And the scary part of that is that, you know, for a lot of us in the industry, if we're not aware of how important it is to claim our tips, then we're not getting access to things like unemployment. We're not getting access to those things like social security. We're not getting access to that second piece of wealth building, which is real estate. So if we're not claiming our tips, then we're not going to be able to get traditional lending at non-predatory rates. So for instance, if you wanted to buy a home, most people need at least two to three years of their income claimed in full in order to qualify for non-predatory rates for a mortgage. And so as an industry, we're often excluded from real estate as well. It's, it's insane. And so people would say, gee whiz, that sounds awful. Why would you do that job? <laughs> I loved it. I, I, lo- I love taking care of people. I love serving people. It was just, a, it was a great time for me. What happened for me though, was I recognized that when I was looking at my head bartender that was 45 years old and could, you know, he'd reach down to pick up a beer from the, from the lower shelf. And he had trouble standing up and I said, that's not going to be me. And so I went into management. Um, and, uh, but I have been able to do, I could do every job in the restaurant, but I went into management and that ended up being good for me. But there are people that don't do that and don't feel like they can do that. And so they just, they feel like they're stuck in the trades and they've got to take care of themselves. Get the book tipped. 
Barbara Sloan is the author because <laughs> I'm, t- I'm telling you, and even if you're a doorman or a, uh, a taxi um, driver, a hairstylist, yeah. you know, any, if you do anything for tips, all of this stuff is so important. You know, we, I think for a lot of us, we make the wrong trade-offs, especially if we're in the, the restaurant bar and club side of, of things. We'll say to ourselves, would I rather go out or would I rather not go out? Well, we'd rather go out. Of right. Course. But but when we start to track our income and we realize the potential it has, oh my God, I earned sixty thousand dollars. That means I spent sixty thousand dollars. That means I don't have anything to show for that sixty thousand dollars. Then you can start to make more intentional choices. Like, would I rather have spent ten thousand dollars going out to bars, clubs, and restaurants? Or would I have rather maxed out my IRA, gone to Mexico, and gone out one day a week instead? then we can start to live with a little more intentionality and these careers can actually become careers. I'd be retired fully by now if I had done everything that was in my book starting at 20. <laughs> I, I agree with you hundred percent. I had that conversation with myself. I said, there's no way I made that kind of money, but you know, you did. And actually that's not even true. You made more than that. You made more than that. Absolutely. You yeah. made lots we, more than that. We lie to ourselves. Our brain has this amazing way of creating these nice little stories that work for us because we want to keep doing what we want to do. We want the dopamine of the margarita after the shift or the ease of quicken, picking up a burrito after a shift instead of cooking. We want, yeah, we want all those those things. So we tell ourselves little lies like, oh, I probably spent like 200 bucks a month going out. But No, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> Well, and it's like um, I would go, go home and I'd gather up my wife and we didn't have anything to eat. If we didn't plan like going to the grocery store like normal people like once a month or once a week, excuse me. And uh, so we would then go to the grocery store. And then it was like, well, what do you feel like eating? I don't know. What do you feel like eating? And so every day it was a $30 bill. Yeah. And, and you know what? There's no shame in any of this, right? Like I... When you read the book, it is filled with all of my mistakes. So many mistakes. We all make so many mistakes. I talk about, I was, I was in so much debt. I had furniture from Rent-A-Center. I had the library hit my credit report. Like I'm talking, I have made so many financial mistakes. There's no shame in any of that. The point is that you can operate without a plan like so many people do, or you can put a little intentionality to it. And really it's only a little intentionality and it can make an all the difference. Did you say that the library hit your credit report? How yeah. the hell did that happen? Yeah, I like I wear a badge of honor that I feel like I have truly tested the limits of the credit system in the US. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you you know, and the cool thing is is that you gathered enough money to be able to buy the construction company you have now. <clears throat> and you're doing now you're not doing two jobs now, I assume. Well, I am doing coaching. One, I do one-on-one coaching. I was writing the book at the same time as running the business. And I, yeah, so I'm giving talks. So yeah, I mean, that's the thing about this industry though, is that that work ethic is kind of just ingrained in you. I've never had just one job. <laughs> I've always had multiple jobs, you know, like once a hustler, always a hustler. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Uh-huh. Um, you know, con- congratulations on everything that you do. If somebody wants to get a hold of you to talk to you about coaching or or even financial planning, which you can probably help with or do in, in myriad of things, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, so you can connect with me on my website, which is tipfinance.com. 
I'm on all the socials at Tip Finance. You can pick up the book on Amazon. It's available in hardback, paperback, Kindle version. It's The book is called Tipped. And then there's a subtitle, The Life-Changing Guide to Financial Freedom for Waitresses, Bartenders, Strippers, and all other service industry professionals. And I know it sounds like it's a lot of like restriction, but the book is actually really fun. And it's chock full of like games and strategies for saving your emergency fund and you know, ways to make it a little bit more gamified because it's it's boring. Traditional financial advice is really boring. So we had to make it a little bit more fun because this industry expects fun. Hey, well, the, the the people that are in it like to have fun. I mm-hmm. know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, that's – I've had some of the best times I've ever had in, in, in the industry. So, you know, working, working with some really, really cool people, um, some really – unique people as well but it it, it, it was the fun. best they're absolutely the best and that's part of the reason that i'm so passionate about helping helping these people is because like we are deserved we're deserved of a good retirement we're deserved of of all of these things and if it can't be our generation then maybe it can be the next generation well and the key isn't part of the key start early it's never too late to start but compound interest is the seventh wonder of the world and it works best when you start early. So, but I didn't start early, right? Like I didn't get into the game until I was in my late thirties and there's time, you know, and for some people who are starting in their forties and fifties, there's time. It's never too late to improve your financial, you know, situation. I always love, and other people in the personal finance space love to talk about this janitor. He passed away like a year or two ago with $8 million in his bank account because he was incredibly frugal and he's, but he never made more than $40,000 a year. And I know for sure there are so many people in this industry making a lot more than $40,000 and the power and potential in this industry is real. If people just harness it in, in, in more intentional ways. I, I couldn't agree more. By the way, I don't think you're older than 38 now. You are so nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I anyway. So it's it's great to it's great to have you here, Barbara. And will you come back? I'd love to I'd love to have you on uh, one of my radio shows. Yeah, uh, I would love it. We should do a deep dive into like actually the culture of tipping. That would be so much fun. Oh, I would love to do that because uh, it it hurts my heart to this day that I had um, I was a waiter at uh, the DoubleTree and I had a uh, two two young girls, about my age, a little bit younger, and their mom from for, were from Canada, and they used to come and they were so nice and I made them laugh and we always had a really good time, and they gave me two dollars at the at the end of the because that's how Canada operates. It's just different. They are lying to you. Tipping is a global practice, and Canada is mostly like ten to fifteen percent in most places. They were lying. They were lying to you. Basically, like Australia and China are kind of like the big ones and few parts of Europe are the big ones. But over one third of countries globally have a tipping culture of more than 10 percent. It's it's a global practice. I also if when we do this, I also want to talk about um, the fallacy of when people hold back their tip because they perceive it to be bad service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I would love to go there. It, it's, 
it's for the brave. I'll tell you that because you can get some heat from these conversations, but it's a fun one for sure. Well, I, I was, uh, there was a conversation that it was on one of the, one of the, the web things. And it, it said, uh, yeah, this, this, uh, winter and he was slow and it took a long time and, and stuff. And it was like, okay. And you said the restaurant was half full. And I said, how many waiters did they have on? Um, how many cooks did they have on? What was what was going on around you? You you, you can't you you got to take that into account. And also, by the way, you'll appreciate this. Whenever I go to business dinner with somebody, and I for a long time I was a national sales manager with with a major poultry company and that kind of thing. And I would take people to dinner, and if they treated the the uh, waiter or waitress rudely or somebody that I wanted to do business with treated somebody rudely, I no longer wanted to work with them because that, that is, that's beyond, beyond the pale of, of people that do that. To me, it's the same thing as like disrespecting a veteran, right? Like the, the, the service okay. industry people are like our current, current nation's veterans. Like <laughs> they deserve our respect. And they also, people, need to understand this industry better and understand that it's just different than most. People need to be educated on why 10 to 15% is a minimum of what you can give somebody in this industry because of the lack of benefits, because of the subminimum wage, because of all of these other, you know, external factors. And it's, 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 it's a big conversation, but I would love to come back and, and have that conversation with you. I think that would be a lot of fun. We will do it. We will do it because what we're going to do is we'll send you uh, the link to this when it gets it, it what's up now it'll be on youtube uh when we are done here it'll be already on youtube but we'll send you the the link to rebook yourself because i'm fascinated with this with the subject matter i love people who work for tips they are some of the coolest human beings that walk the planet and they really honestly do care uh, they do people, they do and it's such a it's such a skill set and i'm often in awe of these people you know, like, because once you see it, you can't unsee it. And you're like, oh, man, they're in the flow. They're in the zone. They're in their craft. And it's such a people don't understand that, like, we are experiencing an epidemic of loneliness in our society right now. And that these are the people that are often sometimes the only smile that somebody gets in a day, the only greeting that somebody says, like, hey, you're welcome here. It's the place where the cooking, the cleaning, the dishes is not your own, the place where somebody can go after a hard day. That is so important and so vital to our economies and our culture and just our humanity. And it's 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 just it's can't be overlooked. I enjoy the industry so much more than like selling or doing any of the other things that I've done in life because I don't have to drag your ass in here. You came voluntarily. All I have to do is facilitate your party. Mm-hmm. And let me, I've got to run, but let me tell you a real quick story. <clears throat> I was at the, I was again, another double tree story. I was in the dining room and it was, it was ten, five minutes to 10. We closed at 10. I was the only waiter on and the, and the hostess was there. You know where I'm going with this mm-hmm. and out of the bar comes this party of six, all in suits. They'd been drinking since five and, and, uh, and they come up to, and, and the waiter and the hostess as well. We're about to close, and and of course the guy says, "Listen, I'm staying here. You're going to serve me here." And so they sat her down. I had to go give the cooks the bad news. Then instead of getting off at ten o five, they're getting off at eleven thirty. 
and because they had to stay through the dessert cycle and all of that. And me, the same thing. Yeah. So I walk up to the to the table and I've got this attitude. It's kind of like, what do you want? (laughs) You know, kind of like screw this i'm gonna be here for another two hours and the 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 the, i'll never forget this and he taught me a valuable lesson the guy at the head of the table said uh excuse me sir uh what's your name uh kevin oh kevin um i want you to know something now that we can do this one of two ways first way is you can knock off with the fucking attitude and you can treat us with the respect that we're due and i'll leave you a nice tip and we'll have a good time if you continue with the way you're doing it, you're still going to wait on us. We're still going to have a good time, and you're going to walk out of here with nothing. It's your choice. Uh, oh, okay. So we ended up having a great time, and I got tipped really well and stuff like that. But, and but, that's the upside, right, is that there's no cap to how much you can earn in this industry. That's the the reward of the risk versus reward in this industry. It's, 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 it's a beautiful lesson and it's an important part of what makes this industry unique. Yes. And, and, and you take care of people and they'll take care of you. Mm-hmm. I had a waitress who got tipped a hundred dollars by showing the guy the way to the men's room. <laughs> I have some of those stories. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> I am sure you do. And Barbara Sloan, go to her website, which is tippedfinance.com. Or again, get her book, which is tipped, um, and it's it's a it's a. Go ahead and give me the uh, the subtitle. Yeah, the tip, the life changing guide to financial freedom for waitresses, bartenders, strippers, and all other service industry professionals. But you could just type tipped book or tipped finance. You will find it on Amazon. I promise. And I thank you for for doing this and being here. This is this, this has been great fun, and I look I look forward to doing this with this with you again. And if you'll wait right there. I'll be right back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to one another because each other's 